Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman, the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. A whole bunch of places you can find us, the mothership for all our content, fishstripes.com, across so many social media platforms from Twitter to Instagram, to TikTok, to Facebook, to YouTube as well. Just search Fish Stripes, find us there, follow us there, because every single platform has some of its own exclusive content. Listening to this podcast, whether it's on Apple, Spotify, Podbean, any anchor, (laughs) any of these places that allow you to leave a rating and review, if that's where you're listening, please do so. We love your feedback and we love your support for our audio offerings. Every single weekday, there's a new audio Marlins coverage for you from myself and the rest of the Fish Stripe staff. You never know exactly what direction you're going to head in on these Sunday night into Monday morning episodes. This was the perfect example of it. It went all the way down to the final out of the final game of this crazy Marlins week. And their series against the Padres was really the perfect microcosm of this 2022 season so far. The Fish fall down to third place in the division, about one-sixth of the way through the regular season. So on the other side of this break, small pod portion going through the Friday, Saturday, and Sunday games. And then the second half of the show, we need to make sense of this COVID outbreak that is happening within the Marlins clubhouse, what exactly that means in the year 2022 in this post-vaccine era, and as well as focusing in on the team's performance or lack of performance in clutch situations, an all-too-familiar sight for this Marlins team to be struggling in close games. Stick with us. Circling back to Friday, this was already Game 2 of the series against the Padres, a four-game set at Petco Park. The Marlins lose 3-2 to two in what was continuing an unprecedented trend losing five consecutive games, all of them by exactly one-run margins. Sandy Alcantara got the start in this one. To me, his results really didn't match up to his stuff. This was perhaps his best pure stuff that he had had in any start so far this season, regularly hitting 99, 100 miles per hour with his fastball and getting great action on both his slider and his changeup. 
I feel like if you replay this start a hundred times, maybe 75 or 80 of them, Sandy easily gets through five innings, if not six. Instead, he kind of got stuck in that middle innings with the team down by a few runs. They end up putting up a fight, as they have often done this season, even when it doesn't look like they have much of a chance. Jesus Aguilar, a two-run home run, a no-doubter that allowed them to claw back into this one, I think in the seventh inning, to make it look more respectable, but just could not get anything else going offensively outside from that. Hitless with runners and scoring position in this game. Uh, the Marlins' defense wasn't ideal in this one. The umpiring, especially at home plate, didn't do them any favors. Uh, the bullpen in relief of Sandy didn't allow a single hit. So that was encouraging. Um, but at the very end, they had an opportunity as late as the ninth inning, actually facing what was a, a rookie in that save situation instead of the usual Padres closer. And had an opportunity and just could not push across for run even then. So a tough loss right there. Then on Saturday, bouncing back in a huge way, and it was the debut of Joe Dunant. We've been talking about him for a while. He's a former guest on this podcast around this time one year ago. Came out of nowhere to make his debut, frankly. I don't think a lot of people realize that he was on the Marlins taxi squad for this road trip. And as the COVID cases started piling up, remember, this is unofficial with the Marlins not announcing themselves exactly why Brian Anderson and then John Birdie and then Richard Blyer have been placed on the injured list. But reading between the lines, that's the reason why. And it allows for non-40-man roster players like Dunand to um, come out of nowhere and step onto the team and make an impact. His debut went as well as anybody could have hoped. His very first at-bat, his first swing as a major leaguer at go-ahead home run. He makes his major league debut here tonight and sends a fly ball out to left field. It spins Profar back. It's deep. And welcome to the show. Don't you know, Joe makes it one nothing. The Marlins piled on from there, end up winning eight to nothing, one of the more lopsided wins of the year. Not that, to take nothing away from Dunand, um, Pablo Lopez was the most important player in this game for Miami, going eight innings to match a career high in length, retaking the major league lead in earned run average. He's down to an even 1.00 at this point in the regular season against the Padres team. Frankly, he'd, he looked a little bit shaky in that very first inning and then cruised from there. Didn't rely too much on swings and misses, but very smart sequencing, good commands, and he was able to get through it against this Padres team. Uh, the exclamation point came courtesy of Jorge Soler, a massive grand slam in the top of the ninth inning to put this game out of reach. For whatever reason, Soler hitting great in low leverage situations this season, but not so much when he can truly alter the outcome of a game. So again, congrats to Joe making his debut, not just doing well offensively with a home run and a line drive double, but also defensively, starting at third base in several situations, playing as part of the shift, moving all the way to the right side of the diamonds and functioning between first base and second base. He looked comfortable over there as well. His defense, as well as his hitting, are things that really transformed in him during the 2020 uh, canceled minor league season 
it's glad that he was able to make an impact. I don't think it's going to be a super long stay in the major leagues, but you should be seeing him as a factor, at least during this upcoming series against the Diamondbacks. Then on Sunday, an opportunity to get back to 500, to split the series. Things were looking pretty good. A matchup between Trevor Rogers and Joe Musgrove, where I think anyway, if you hadn't been looking at the scoreboard, you would think that Musgrove was having the better game. He did look sharper. He was getting more swings and misses on his secondary pitches than Trevor Rogers was, and he ended up outlasting Trevor, pitching into the seventh inning, whereas Trevor sort of danced his way through five scoreless innings. There are uh, he's still in a kind of uncomfortable situation where it's clear he's not the same guy he was at the start of his rookie season that earned him an all-star nod. Um, but this was important to kind of right the ship uh, and to bring down his ERA from the sixes to an even five. He allowed a lot of contact in this one, but nothing that really threatened to go over the wall. Some long line drives that he didn't like. And his changeup in particular, just not getting the chases and the swings and misses that it did for so much of last season. Fastball velocity as well uh, looks great in the first inning and then can't quite get back to that same level the rest of the game. Not working very efficiently, uh, but you need to give him some credit for at least throwing up the zeros. It went better than I feared it might. The Marlins taking the lead um, in the middle innings and then adding insurance on a Jazz Chisholm Jr. solo shot. Jesus Aguilar, just after having his on-base streak snapped, starts a new one in this one, and with two doubles as well with him... uh, I think this was a very important series to not just establish him as that on-base threat that he's been for most of the year, but to re-show that extra base power that had kind of been absent from his game for a lot of last season towards the end and the very early portion of this year. For him to pile up three extra bases, three extra base hits in this series was encouraging and it validates the decision to have him batting up near the top of the lineup. That being said, Marlins up 2-0 heading to the bottom of the ninth inning. Cole Solcer gets the save opportunity. Things were looking pretty good. Um, the Padres did enough to extend the game and bring the potential go-ahead run to the plates. And it was old friends, Jorge Alfaro, very first pitch with two outs, two on, down by two runs. You know what you're supposed to do in that situation. Get him to chase a pitch outside the zone, but Cole Solcer leaves a cement mixer right in the middle of the plate. And Alfaro, with one of the defining moments of this Major League Baseball season, changing the game with one swing of the bat and winning the series for the Padres. The pitch, swung on, driven to left center field and deep. Alfaro throws the bat. It is a home run, walk-off style for Jorge Alfaro. The first pitch he sees deep into the Padres' bullpen, and the Padres walk off with a victory, 3-2. to two. Wow. 3-2, to two, the final score of that series finale. Manny Machado, overall, he was the true MVP of the series, going 7-for-13 with two home runs, a stolen base, three walks, And they hadn't struck him out a single time until the back half of that Sunday game. It was only towards the end of that series finale that he started to look human again. Lastly, on the minor league side, my fish prospects of the week. 
overall a pretty nice week for the minor league system and some key prospects. Pitcher of the week going with Zach McCambly with AA Pensacola. He was one of the bigger disappointments through April and early May in this Marlins farm system. Coming back to Pensacola after finishing last year there, getting hit around and lacking his control for his first handful of starts. In this one, this past week, absolutely shoved, only allowed two hits, one walk, eight strikeouts with a quality start for Pensacola to right the ship and show why he is on the short list of best pitching prospects in the organization. Not quite at Max Meyer, Yuri Perez, Edward Cabrera level, but that very next tier right behind them. On the hitting side, hitter of the week, J.J. Bladey, Triple A Jacksonville, an amazing series against Memphis, including three consecutive games with home runs for Bladey, including, I think, one against a left-handed pitcher as well. So overall, his numbers for the season looking much closer to what we would have hoped for entering the year. Honorable mentions on the pitching side, I'll go with MD Johnson for high A Beloit's seven strong innings. Like McCampley, only allowed two hits and had very good commands. And the only two hits that he allowed were ones that just barely found the grass. One, Victor Mesa Jr. lost it in the sun in center field and allowed it to fall. And then the other one, a sing eye ground ball that got through. The, uh, the right side of the infield, and that was it. Another honorable mention on the hitting side, let's go with Griffin Conine, who overall got off to a slow start. Also, like McCambly, repeating Pensacola after finishing there last year, in this particular week, just continues to hit exceptionally well. He seems to be prioritizing his discipline and making contact more so than he did last year, but also, the power is still there, as he reminded us on Sunday, hitting a home run to dead center field well over 400 feet away for Pensacola in that big situation. Encouraging to see Conine on the right track. Whether you like it or not, we need to spend more time revisiting that Sunday game against the Padres and the Marlins overall just failures in clutch situations it it was so predictable coming into the year we pointed it out it wasn't only me about how it didn't feel like they invested enough energy and resources tightening up this bullpen bringing back so many familiar faces from last year during spring training one of those familiar faces gets hurt and still hasn't returned in dylan floro they did something toward right before opening day, on the eve of opening day, finally give in to the pressure, make the trade with the Orioles to acquire Tanner Scott and Cole Solcer, who I think you'd have to say overall have been good. They have certainly improved this bullpen, but they are just not on the kind of tier as some of the preeminent closers in baseball. And it's a cliche. Finding somebody to get the final three outs of a game is different than other situations, yet it proves itself to be true. Uh, Year in, year out, especially for this Marlins team. They had trouble filling that role last year, and it's been the same this year. I should say different guys uh, getting those opportunities, but the same results where they are, their season is swinging in a completely 
different direction just because of how these save situations are going. So Anthony Bender, who has had most of those opportunities to this point this season, made an appearance in the sixth inning on Sunday. So an entirely different role for him that I thought was slightly encouraging as we saw his changeup behave better than it had at any point this year. He's followed by Anthony Bass, who at this point is now kind of definitively the best Marlins reliever to this point in the season. He's the one that, even though it got started on the wrong foot, he ended up taking the loss on opening day. Since then, he has been nearly perfect. For this whole season overall now, 14 and two-thirds innings, he has not allowed any inherited runners to score. He's getting out lefties almost as efficiently as he's getting out righties. And in this one, he was able to show that he can go up for a second inning when needed. He pitched one and two-thirds innings, got five outs all in a row, including Manny Machado. Um, He had the most impressive matchup with Machado of this entire series, striking him out looking on a slider outside corner of the plate. That was an awesome performance, and it seemed to poise the Marlins to close out this game. All they needed was... Cole Solcer to go through what was what the bottom portion of that Padres lineup to bring them home with a victory. And that ninth inning, man, first it was uh, you got the strikeout to open up the bottom of the ninth, then a line drive single, then that crazy play with him recording the second out of the inning by himself, racing over to cover third base in a shift situation for the second out. Couldn't retire C.J. Abrams, the the rookie infielder slash outfielder for the Padres. They had a chance to put the game away right there. Then coming off the bench, it was Jorge Alfaro, former Marlin, coming back to haunt them. As I said, just a terrible mislocation on his pitch, knowing that you want Alfaro to chase outside the zone instead of leaving it over the middle. That's got to be one of the more like impactful swings of the entire major league season for any team uh, by win probability added 0.92 wins on one swing they just have one void at the very back end of the pen that there's no obvious solution knocking on the door in triple a we've spoken now on on a couple of our Twitter spaces, and I think we've mentioned it a little bit on our live streams as well, about some very dominant arms down in AA Pensacola, uh, from Colton Hawk to Andrew Nardi to Josh Simpson to Jeffrey Yan. Um, the ones that aren't necessarily an upgrade over who they currently have um, in, in these situations as well. Good arms in the minor league system, but the best of them are ones who are starting pitchers in Max Meyer and Edward Carrera. There doesn't seem to be any appetite from the Marlins to put them in those roles, and I kind of understand that. As much as it may seem like an easy transition to go from starting pitcher to reliever, it's still a very foreign routine for these guys to suddenly be able to respond physically on back-to-back days. And you never know, at least in... Most cases, you don't know exactly how the conversion to the bullpen will affect a guy's stuff, whether it will in fact play up or whether it won't make a difference at all. So as that 
possibility has been floated, and I think it is worth now talking about even more now that you have yet another competent reliever that when put in this critical situation isn't getting the job done. Uh, I think it is fair to turn over every cushion on the couch looking for a solution here, even if that means kind of complicating a young pitcher's development process. If you are putting that much of a premium on winning this year and winning right now, I think either way, whether it's as a starter or as a reliever, we're only a matter of weeks, perhaps just a matter of less than a week from seeing either Max Meyer or Edward Cabrera come up here. And regardless of which one it is that gets that shot first, both of them have the kind of premium secondary stuff and the plus velocity put it all together. They are going to miss bats in the major leagues and they are going to add more of that element than the current bullpen has or the current pitching staff as a whole has. But you just can't trust them regardless of their prospect pedigree quite to the same level as you could for somebody who's actually been there and done that at an elite level. This team, whether it was a matter of resources or an overestimation of the own, their talents that they had in on the bullpen, they just did not make that final step to tighten things up. They are paying the price. Entering Monday, a 5-9 and nine record in one-run games. And it's just as bad as last year. It is exactly deja vu. This is just a long way of saying for people not to panic yet, to naturally be angry about the way that things have gone so far. But if they're going to turn it around, you got to forget about making big trades at this point in the year. Those are not going to happen. Those players are not on the market right now, regardless of how bad their own teams are. It's going to be just a... a learning process as we go get a larger sample and you need to be able to adjust to mistakes there's really no excuse for the pitch that Solser threw to Jorge Alfaro it was a terrible lack of execution that ends up making the difference in these games when when you miss your spot by about a foot even against a hitter like Alfaro who I think many of us agreed is a very flawed offensive player they're going to, once in a while, they're going to make you pay for the mistakes that you made. They certainly made the Marlins pay dearly, shifting the entire narrative of the season quite a bit with that one swing. Going from potentially reaching 500 and splitting the series and remaining in second place in the National League East to dropping a game below that, and now two games under overall into third place in the division. It just tastes different. Those words coming out of your mouth. Second place versus third place. But before I go, a quick overview of the COVID situation. As we're recording this, heading into the Dimeback series, three players that are sidelined because of this. Brian Anderson, John Birdie, Richard Blyer, each of them going on the injured list one day after each other. For the moment, the corresponding moves for, for them have been Brian De La Cruz coming right back up. As we mentioned, Joe Dunan's getting his first opportunity to fill in and play quite a bit of third base, it would seem, for the near-term future. 
Also, Eric Gonzalez getting his opportunity as a corresponding guy for Blyer. Eric Gonzalez was absolutely raking at AAA. You can't put too much weight on that performance as somebody that has plenty of big league experience already and tons of AAA experience. He's He was right in his element with Jacksonville. And you shouldn't expect too much offense from him at the major league level. If he's anywhere within... Um, I mean, I think being a major league average hitter would be too much to ask. If he's just better than mediocre, considering the versatility that he brings, um, and particularly in the infield, he's going to be a pretty important piece to get them through the next few days if both Anderson and Birdie are out for um, the near future. To be clear, exactly what the protocols are at this stage this isn't the 2020 season, right? Remember at the time with no vaccine and so many questions about how this would work, guys would disappear for several weeks after testing positive for COVID. That should not be the case this time. If you are a vaccinated player, a boosted player, and are asymptomatic, it's just a matter of getting two negative tests that are at least 24 hours apart, allowing you to return to the team. So... Looking around the league, the Marlins are not the only team going through that. The Giants, perhaps more so than any other team to this point in the season, have been missing key pieces as a result. The Cardinals have recently missed a couple guys as well. I think I saw the Twins and the Red Sox just off the top of my head at this point. Almost half the teams in Major League Baseball have had at least one COVID-related stint on the injured list. Now, the terminology that the teams use, the communication style varies quite a bit. So the Marlins are never going to confirm anybody having COVID in particular, whereas some other teams are far more direct about it and where those players are in their return-to-play protocols. We don't know exactly where the Marlins guys are. I think it's safe to assume that those three, Anderson, Birdie, and Blyer, are going to be out for the series against the Diamondbacks. And the question now is, is who else potentially has to follow them to the sidelines. The Marlins are prepared for that. They have like continued to fortify their taxi squad now that some of their actual taxi squad players are on the major league roster. We know that Brian Miller left from their series over the weekend and presumably is meeting them in Arizona. So Brian Miller would seem to be the next man up on the position player side if one of those guys tests positive and is ineligible to go. What I wanted to finish off is an understanding of how the Marlins have been fortunate from the player availability standpoint to this point in the season. Baseball Prospectus has an injury ledger that tracks which players miss time, how long they miss time, the reasons why they are sidelined, and adds it all together to compare team versus team, year versus year, how much injuries impact the season, impact your ability to win games. As of Sunday, the Marlins have missed the fifth fewest total games due to injury and illness. They have been one of the most fortunate teams in all of baseball in terms of having their major league players available to play. The methodology isn't perfect because it doesn't consider guys that have been on the minor league injured list as Sixto Sanchez has been all season and Edward Cabrera was for a few weeks. So not perfect, 
overall, that that's something that I think every team is being miscounted a little bit in that regard. So this gives you an idea that the Marlins, really, aside from Dylan Floro and those pitchers I mentioned, who are both still not quite proven at the major league level yet, that this team has been pretty close to full strength to this point in the season. So for them to have a losing record, um, and for them to, as we've said, have a positive run differential, uh, this Padres series really was the microcosm of it all. They outscored the Padres by five runs over these four games, and yet they lose three of the four games. Doesn't add up. And... It will even out a little bit over the course of the season. The concern is whether they dig themselves too deep of a hole at this point in the year. I think they have to regret at this point not being more active on the relief pitcher side. For this near-term future, just going back to the guys who are sidelined, John Birdie, on a per-plate appearance basis, was as effective as anybody that they've had this point in the season. He's been terrific, and they are without him. As, as encouraging as the start of Joe Dunan's career was, I, I think anybody would take Birdie over Dunand over any sort of sample. So that's going to hurt the team. Um, Dela Cruz and Brian Anderson, that might be pretty close to a wash, except for the fact that Dela Cruz isn't as versatile as B.A. is. You know, he's not going to give you any assistance at third base putting a lot of trust in Dunand and a healthy Joey Wendell to uh, hold that down. Then we have Richard Blyer, who had not been performing all that well to this point in the season, so that's fair to point out, but puts a lot more pressure on the other relievers uh, in this bullpen to get it done. The fact that Dylan Floro's return doesn't seem quite as imminent as it's supposed to. He's not looking 100% like himself on this rehab assignment. These other guys have to hold up, and as we saw, you know, their their season on an individual level can change just like that. But still, 134 games to go. We're going to closely cover it one series at a time on Fish Stripes Live. They'll be here tonight, 8.30 p.m. Eastern Time on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. And really, it's it's one day at a time. Every aspect of the Marlins organization, we got it covered on Fish Stripes, especially on our website, fishstripes.com. Go to fishstripes.com. That's where you get round-the-clock Marlins coverage from myself and the rest of the staff. Looking forward pretty soon to the 25th anniversary celebration of the 1997 World Series team. On the next episode of the official show, I will be joined by several fascinating guests to reflect on better times that championship season make sure to tune into that tell everybody you know to subscribe to the fish stripes podcast and we appreciate the support we appreciate your feedback and you know where to find me everywhere you find fish stripes as well as personally you could go to twitter real eli e-l-y if you have any questions any ideas you want to run by me about how we cover this marlins team Back to you later this week. Thanks as always for listening. Go fish!